to the Benefits Corner podcast. Thanks for joining us. With each episode, we'll be speaking with business owners, thought leaders, and top performers. Our goal is to provide our audience with interesting, relevant information as it relates to employee benefits, Canadian healthcare, and running a business. Now, we should say up front that the views expressed by our guests are not necessarily those shared by the Benefits Corner nor its host. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. Today's show is brought to you by ARIA Benefits, modern advisors backed by experience and technology. Now here's your host, Robin Bailey. Hey folks, welcome back to the Benefits Corner. So today we're doing something fun, I think, anyway, the year-end wrap-up episode of the podcast. So we're closing out the year. The year's been gone incredibly quickly. It's been a great year, but uh, we're closing it out, I think, in a special way with episode 20. And I say that, and I really can't believe we've done 20 of these since just launching the podcast back in April. It's been an amazing year, and I really want to thank everyone for listening and and providing feedback. Of course, that always helps direct where the show goes. You know, one of the things I've really enjoyed about doing the podcast is the people you meet along the way, and today's guest is no exception. Megan Vallis is in town today from Vancouver, and I'm so happy you could join me on the show today, Megan. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. So I just want to provide a bit of background. I had seen you on LinkedIn numerous times. You've always got great posts about our industry. You're very visible on LinkedIn, always providing insight. So I always look to your posts and I actually look forward to them. But then you're one of the people that reached out to me early on with encouraging words about the podcast. So thank you very much for that. And and I'm really happy you could join me on the wrap up show. So quick bio on Megan and then we'll get started. So Megan is the Senior Vice President of Consulting at Apri Insurance Services, Inc., responsible for leading the national consulting team. Megan guides Apri's strategic initiatives and consultant development activities. She is based at their Vancouver office, but visiting Toronto today, of course. Megan has over a decade of experience in the group benefits industry, where she worked in a number of different areas. She is passionate about helping companies succeed by leveraging technology to transform the HR experience from administrative to strategic. And that's interesting. I talked about that on a recent podcast. Yeah. Uh, Megan holds the status of secretary and board member of the BC chapter of the ISCEBS, holds a CPE compliant SEBS designation, and is considering the SEBS fellow. When she's not at work, you'll find her skiing at Sun Peaks, trying not to fall off her bike. And I love this one. Or living vicariously through other people's pets. I often do the same. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Love your bio, by the way. Thanks for joining me, and welcome to the show. But before we get started, we just mentioned the SEABS designation. That's right. So, a couple of things. One, for our listeners, can you tell me what that is, and perhaps why that's important? Yeah, the CEBS is the Certified Employee Benefit Specialist designation, and it's pretty much the premier and almost only designation for people in the employee benefits industry. And for me, it initially started because I started my career at Great West Life, and you had to have your GBA. So I had finished school. I thought I was done. I didn't think I was going to have to do any more studying. Yes, likewise. (laughs) Yeah, likewise. And then here I am, select pack specialist, and they're like, you need your GBA. And I'm like, okay. And And it started from there. Just being a part of a culture where continuing education was so important, it stayed with me for the rest of my career. 
Yeah, and obviously I ask you that for selfish reasons because you and I both hold the same yes. the same designation. <laughs> and I think you're right. I think I think it's a great designation because if you're looking at a financial planner, what's the go-to designation that you want to see on that business card? It's the CFP, the Certified yep. Financial Planner. And especially with the more complex benefits gets, I think when you're interviewing brokers, you do want to see that commitment to the employee benefits industry Absolutely. and have that SEEDS designation. So, you know... Obviously, I was asking that uh, for my own purposes there. You mentioned that you started with Great Was Life and you were an account executive uh, back mm-hmm. in the day. And yeah. I didn't realize we had that in common. Yes. Yeah. Ah, okay. Wonderful. Yeah. So that's, uh, I finished school and thought it's time to get a real job. Yeah. And there it was. Yeah. Calling me. And you know what? I, I think I wouldn't change a thing about uh, my path to how I got to you know, running ARIA yeah. benefits. My background was an account executive. And I think, honestly, it is one of the best kept secrets in our industry. It really is. And if I wasn't doing my role now, that's with one of the carriers, that is the role that I would, I would choose to do. It's yeah. a lot of fun. It's and, so and you get much to help fun. to people, too, yeah. right? So, all right. So... Let's get down to what we're here for. Let's so, Megan, there's been a ton of new developments in 2018, and I've said it many times, so I apologize for repeating myself. First 20 years of my career, nothing happened, right? Yes. It really, yes. the industry didn't change. But in the last, let's say, two years, and especially in 2018, we've seen a ton of change. So I was hoping we could cover a top eight list of what we've seen this year. Sound good? Let's do it. All right. Number one. Let's start with National Pharmacare. So here's what I'm seeing on the National Pharmacare front. Right now, when I look around, I see employees that are pretty happy Mm -hmm. with the status quo. They've got benefit plans through work for the most part. We are seeing employees asking for access to newer medicines and care that's available. But then on the other side, we're seeing our employers saying, yes, I want to provide that. I want to continue to provide a plan but I want to make sure it's sustainable. And how do I balance that out? And then for National Pharmacare, I guess the worry for me when I'm looking as a Canadian is, okay, most people are going to have either some form of OHIP or whatever their equivalent is in their province, but there are people that are just not covered for certain drugs. They don't have coverage through work. Um, there are no other programs for them. So what do we do about those people? And then my final thought on Pharmacare is, okay, we've got a patchwork system today. We've got differences by region. I mean, Quebec's got a system they've been using for 20 years. Some is working very well. Some is working maybe not so well. Mm -hmm. Other countries around the world are struggling with the same issues. What do we do here? And finally, who pays for all this? So what are your thoughts on National Pharmacare? Yeah, that's, that's the big question is who pays. Right now in the insurance world, it's a struggle on who pays for the high-cost drugs. And I think that's really where a lot of the pharmacare is coming from, is we see more and more stories in the newspaper every day about, I can't afford this $100,000 drug, and the government won't pay for it. So my worry with pharmacare is we're going to have one of two things happen. The liberals rush it and slap something in place before an election right? so that it's done and they have this crowning jewel, we did it, Pharmacare is in place. Or it is just a part of a platform and uh, everyone has a Pharmacare platform and then maybe nothing ever happens. Uh, But I think the risk of the single payer system And I say the risk because I think that a lot of Canadians don't understand what a single-payer, government-run pharmacare plan would look like. So I'm at the pharmacy the other day, waiting in line, 
and the lady in front of me is getting a consult. It was a loud consult, so I could hear it. I tried not to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just you could hear it. And what happened was is that the name of her drug changed. So she said to the person at the counter, oh, I this is another drug I usually get. She said, you usually get the brand. She said, yes. Pharmacist came up for a consult, and he explained to her that it was the same drug but a different name. And I think we're going to see a lot of that where Canadians are going to go to the pharmacy under a PharmaCare plan, and they're going to find out that their drug is maybe the same but a different name, and they're not sure if they're okay with that. Yeah. Or their drug just isn't on the list at all. Because a national PharmaCare plan under a single-payer formulary isn't going to be these wide-open formularies that all of these insurance plans and plan members have been enjoying. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that's where some confusion and obviously maybe some fear and concern would, would creep yeah. in it as well. So that's what I was talking about at the beginning. I mean, I think for the most part, employees are, are pretty happy with the coverage that they have. And, mm-hmm. and I think it would be a big shock to the system to walk into your pharmacy and say, oh, you know that open formulary you had through work? Yeah, that's not here anymore. And we're going to have a ton of people who have to switch their medication. For a non-medical reason, and they're not going to want to. Yeah, so I think that's definitely one we're going to need to keep an eye on for this year. 100%. The PharmaCare conversation is far from over. Yes, exactly. All right, moving on, number two. This one was interesting for me this year, pharmacogenetic Mm -hmm. testing. Yep. So... When it first came out, I think, you know, RBC was uh, one of the first carriers that approached me on it. And, mm-hmm. and of course, as a carrier, they're going to promote it and say, this is the newest, greatest thing. So we ended up uh, early on in the podcast episodes, we had Ken Bowman from RBC come on, talked about a lot of great stuff, uh, but one of them was pharmacogenetic testing. And of course, they've done their studies saying, here's here's what it's doing. Mm-hmm. It's getting, you know, uh, quicker results, better results and, and uh, improving people's lives. Well... As a broker, I always say to my clients, I am attached to you. I'm not attached to any insurance company. As a broker, I'm, you know, I'm contracted with many, many carriers. And I've said to my my clients, I just want you to be looked after and happy and and your well-being of your employees looked after. So when a carrier tells me this and is promoting it, I thought, well, this is great. This is really interesting stuff. And I love the stats that you're providing with it. But I've got to get an unbiased opinion on that. So we actually subsequently, more recently in the podcast episodes, interviewed Dr. Angus Franklin. So he's a practicing physician in Mississauga, but he's also a PhD in genetics. And I don't know if you heard the podcast, but he he actually did role plays about the difference in, hey, if I didn't have this information versus I did. And he actually backed up that information and said, this is something that's got real potential. It might not be where it should be or could be right now, but he says it's got a real potential to make an impact in people's lives. So I thought that was really interesting. I do too. And I think that this field is really cool, but also kind of scary at the same time mm-hmm. because of Agreed. the invasiveness on the privacy side. Yes. Um, there's that whole field that we need to consider when you're looking at, okay, um, is it just right drug, right dose, right person, right time? Or is it the other side of things? What happens with that information? Are we testing for proactively for a gene that might cause a condition down the road? Uh, So there's a lot of unknowns in that space right now on who can use that information, um, how and why. And we do have laws in Canada, but 
you know, there was a recent ruling on on one of them. It's being fought. You just never know what's going to happen. I think you're right. I think you said it well. The There's so much potential there, but at the same time, you really got to watch that privacy line and walk yeah. that line very finely because, you know, we all, we all have a right to our, our privacy and you certainly wouldn't want decisions being made by an insurance company or an employer. I mean, I remember if I'm going back to the very beginning of my career on claims experience reports, you could mm-hmm. see names. I know. And now, of course, you can't see any of that. And now you can barely get claims. You can barely get claims experience. I mean, nowadays, depending on the group, yeah. the size of the group. So I am very much in favor of better outcomes for everybody. Yeah. Um, but again, protecting that privacy along the way. So that'll be an interesting one to uh, to keep an eye on as well. Okay, moving on. Healthcare spending accounts and personal spending accounts, sometimes also known as uh, as wellness accounts. And I was talking the other day to. The fellows at my HSA. Yes. Out in Calgary. I was going to say yeah. Vancouver, but no, you're from uh, Vancouver. And had a really interesting conversation with them about where HSAs fit. Because I remember, I have colleagues in the States, and I remember talking to them about 10 years ago. And they said, even on small groups, Rob, HSAs are going to be the thing. Just yep. you wait. It's coming. And for 10 years, there were crickets. And now it seems, you know, HSAs and PSAs are becoming much more popular. And when I, when I was talking to Steve over at uh, my HSA, he was saying, you know, here's the reasons why we think it's becoming more popular. People are becoming more educated, especially, especially yeah. employers. And they're looking at their plan and saying, okay, life insurance, long-term disability. Yes, we need insurance for those. Those are catastrophic. Sometimes even on, most times on the healthcare, I would agree. Um, there can be catastrophic claims on, on drugs and things like that. So do we insure that Yes, no, depending on the client. Most times it's going to be yes. Things like vision care, mm-hmm. things like paramedical coverage, things like even dental. Yep. That's where an HSA or, or even an ASO um, arrangement can make a lot more sense. And then I think where it's begun to pick up steam is employees are starting to realize the flexibility involved as well. Like, hey, I'm not going to the massage therapist. I'm not going to the chiropractor. But you're, you know, I'm sitting here wearing glasses as, right. we're, as we're talking. Yeah. Yes, I'm not sure going to get a new pair of glasses. So I think people are starting to enjoy that flexibility. On the employer side, having that known cost is certainly, as a business owner myself, where mm-hmm. you have to manage those costs, it's very appealing to know, oh, okay, here's what that cost is going to be at the end of the year. And then the other thing we touched on during our conversation was there are three generations in the workforce now. And I'd argue that two-thirds of them demand the same digital experience as an Uber or uh, an Amazon. So we're starting to see more of that. So I think especially where carriers can place that platform of an HSA or a PSA on a digital format, I think it's going to just get more and more uptake as we go through this year and next year. Yeah, spending accounts are definitely going to gain more momentum and popularity. Honestly, they're like this hidden gem that advisors have been sitting on for the past 10 years. Agreed. 10 plus Absolutely years. <laughs> agree. Yes. And, you know, as an industry, really, we were slow to embrace them and to promote them to our clients. And maybe it was because, like you said, it's been crickets in the benefits world for the past it really has. decade. Yeah. And everything's exploding the past two, three, four years. So maybe the status quo was working, people didn't want to disrupt it, no one likes change, and 
we just let things carry on. But like you said, we've got multiple generations in the workforce. We have people with wildly different needs and having that flexibility covers those. You can cover costs so that you can help an aging parent. You can cover costs to help raises with kids. You know, orthodontics yeah. isn't on most benefit plans. It's variable. You know, you can use it whatever you want, uh, whatever CRA says medical spend. So it's amazing. But then on the taxable side with the wellness accounts, it's really insurance carriers who have limited our ability to put those out there because they didn't offer them except to very you know, mammoth-sized groups. Exactly. Uh, we're talking groups with thousands of employees. Uh, but now, you know, they're available in all size groups, and people love having a, a fund of money to use towards health and wellness. Yeah. And sure. wellness from a holistic perspective of uh, it's your financial wellness as well as your you know, your physical and your mental, because a lot of these uh, taxable spending accounts, you know, they can be used to pay down student loans, you can buy insurance with them, yeah. you can buy a bus pass. So it, there's so many ways that they can help. It's funny. I'm funny you mentioned the bus pass. I'm in a um, presentation for a, for a new prospect who I mm-hmm. hope to make a client, and they shared with me an internal survey that they had done. And one of the things that jumped out at me was someone had said, hey, it'd be great if we had something that, you know, where you could opt for a go train pass or a TTC pass or something like that. Yep. So one of the things I'm going to be talking about is the personal spending accounts with that. So I think you're right. I think there's just going to be more and more uptake of those kind of things. Yep. And we'll see huge growth in that uh, sector this year. Okay, so moving on to medical cannabis. This was a big one this year. And I'm going to ask your opinion on this. Yep. Before I get to that, okay. you know, my listeners are obviously my clients and, and, and hopefully some prospects out there. So I reached out to Rich Appia, who's an employment lawyer who mm-hmm. was on, on the podcast earlier in the year. And I said, okay, if I'm going to send a message out about this, because a lot of business owners I talk about are fearful of this and say, okay, what are we supposed to do? What are our obligations? So I got three points from Rich and I'm just going to, I'm just going to lay those out here and then I'll get your opinion, Megan. So number one, employers have a right to be concerned with performance and health and safety. The right to use cannabis doesn't trump those concerns. Number two, employers need to remember that some employees legitimately need cannabis to manage medical issues. Employers must make good faith efforts to accommodate that need when necessary, but health and safety must always prevail. And number three, employers should have clear policies in place indicating what's acceptable and unacceptable as far as the possession and use of cannabis in the workplace is concerned. Is it okay, for example, to have it on the premises? Is it okay to use it at the holiday party where alcohol might also be served? You know, is it okay uh, to offer it or accept it from guests? Expectations should be set out very clear. So I think the message is here is one, seek advice from appropriate professionals. Absolutely. And to have that written policy statement accessible to, to employees. 100% right? agree. You and I aren't equipped to be giving people you know, advice on their policies and how they should be written that's why you would seek uh, someone in the legal field we can have our opinions but those tips are 100 percent something that all employers should be considering and i think as a society we need to start to think about cannabis as a more modern tool that we can be using as a medicine also recreationally we're talking about at the holiday party we're serving alcohol it's common Alcohol was a banned substance at one point. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a national favorite. 
but it's also very destructive for a lot of people. And so we need to find that balance. I had this conversation with a friend recently uh, planning a wedding and her future father-in-law joked, well, we're serving alcohol. Are we going to have a cannabis table as well? And it's just, it's part of our daily lives now being legalized. And I hope that with the legalization of cannabis, we'll see more studies so that we can legitimize its use for a lot of conditions that are just anecdotal at this stage. Yeah, agreed. And I think while it was slow in the very beginning with acceptance, I am seeing just from my conversation with employers, it is becoming much more accepted. And I think if we're having this conversation a year from now, maybe the 2019 wrap-up show, then we'll, maybe I'll book you now in advance. But I think it's going to be a very different conversation. Absolutely. And I, and I think as time goes on and more studies uh, legitimize cannabis use, it, it will be incorporated more into our, our kind of daily lives. So yeah. So I'm going to steal your line from one of the articles you read this year as I bring up the next topic of artificial intelligence. And I love this line, the robots are coming. The robots are here. They're here. It's true. They're here. So... It's interesting. I was at um, the Sunlight Roadshow this year, and uh, they had done a demonstration. Of course, they're mm-hmm. using Ella, their their digital benefits assistant or benefits coach, and it was really cool to see how they're leveraging that technology mm-hmm. to help employees find. And I think they, they they use the example of elastic stockings. The digital coach had had said, well, here it's, you know, $95 and over here it's $65. And it was nudging the employee towards that. So it was really cool to see some of this technology being leveraged to improve that outcome and, and perhaps save some money at the same time. I think it's a really cool way to utilize that technology. Um, you know, Manual Life uses Alexa. And, That's right. Yeah. Uh, employees can, hey, Alexa, what's my benefits balance? Uh, Sun Life recently... I think yesterday in their focus update announced that you're going to be able to ask Ella about your HSA balances. So they're starting to incorporate some information in there. But I like what Sun Life has done where Sun Life's trying to direct people to be consumers That's with their right. benefit plans. And I love that. Uh, we're consumers in our everyday lives. Why does that change all of a sudden with our benefit plan? Exactly. I have no idea. So I think it's great how they're doing that. And, and part of how they do that is through the immense data that they have through claims and then through their rating system that they set up with the, with the practitioners. They can guide you to a practitioner that is a part of their network, who bills direct, who has good ratings, and you know maybe is charging a reasonable and customary fee versus, yeah. versus over that. So it does help steer people, but on the flip side, back to that privacy, so now... Google and Amazon have access to your claims data. Yeah. Because if I'm saying, hey, Ella, what's my HSA balance? There's a connection there. And sure, there's rules around, I'm sure, the use and disclosure and all that. But ultimately, the data is there. Yeah. And, and I think I think that's the worry about how much how much of this information is being collected and where it's being used and how it's being used, right? Exactly. Yeah, so I think Sun Life is actually, I mean, all the carriers are, are trying to outdo each other. And of course, Absolutely. if carriers are listening, make sure Megan and I both know 
everything that is new and out there, and, and we'll be sure to talk about it on the podcast. Because again, uh, speaking for myself, I'm never tied to any particular carrier. I just want to find yeah. the best of the best for my clients. But one of the things that was interesting that came out of that Sun Life meeting, Dave Jones, who runs Group for Canada, had said Sun Life School is to become the leading digital benefits provider in Canada. So I think, you know, obviously the people at Sun Life are looking at the workforce and looking at the demands, yep. and I think they're going in the direction. So for me, and I think for you too, Megan, it's a really exciting time to be in benefits and watch what the robots are going to get up to. It is. And you know what? The robots are up to a lot of things. We're talking about utilizing Alexa or Google Home and, and being able to just speak and find out information. But there's a lot of stuff going on in the backgrounds that are making processes a lot faster. We've got advisors building tools to read quotes to spit out a final comparison so that you're not spending hours and hours doing these administrative tasks that computers can do in a fraction of the time. Yeah, and I mean, with any of these tools, it's all about using them and using them efficiently. I will still get emails or even, I would say more so voicemails. Mm -hmm. Hey, call me back. You know, not an efficient use of the technology. Give me the information I tell everyone. Usually, I don't want to, I don't even want people calling me anymore. It's, I'm going it's to put email. it on the record. Don't leave me a voice message. Same for me, right? <laughs> if you want to get me, send me an email. Give me the details. I will get you an answer, yeah. right? And I'll even respond and say, "Hey, I'm on it," just to yeah. let you know. I'm happy to have a phone call anytime. Yeah. Don't leave me a voice message. I'm all about. Let's be efficient with all the amazing technology we have at our, yeah. at our disposal. Agree. All right. So moving on for the robots, um, somewhat, I guess. I mean, virtual care and telemedicine. So I'm going to leave this one to you okay? because there's, there's a lot going on out there. I know you're well-versed in, uh, in this area, so let's have it. I really hope that telehealth explodes and just takes off. And I think it's going to. We've got big carriers partnering with telehealth companies. You know, Telehealth recently purchased Metasys. So you can imagine what Telus can do with a digital doctor the yes. doctor in your pocket yeah and you know i personally used a telehealth app we have medicines here at apri and it's really cool being able to go on your phone speak to a physician or a nurse practitioner who can diagnose who can prescribe and without having to leave your home well we just talked about making use of technology to make you more efficient right mm -hmm. like what a prime example because if, if i'm looking at my own company one of my staff okay I'm sick. Okay, I got to take a day off. Oh, now I got to go to the doctor. Yeah. And getting that doctor's appointment is not the next day usually. No. Right? It's by the time you're better. Yeah. And if you need medications, you're probably going to the walking clinic instead of your own physician because it's so hard to get in. Right. Great example. In my household, my spouse was sick recently and he was too sick to go to the doctor. I'm like, you should go to the doctor. He's like, I'm too, I'm too sick to even want to leave the house. Yeah. So you, he used the, the app and then time saved. But I think where this is going to be really good is for people who work part-time, people with small children, people in areas like Nova Scotia. I'm going to say Nova Scotia in general because there's just a family physician problem in that province. Right. Where, you know, if you're working part-time, you have small kids, it's hard to take time off, but you need to to see a doctor but this would eliminate that or you're in a scenario where you don't have a primary care physician in a telehealth app scenario it's the history is all there and it's saved 
and depending on which provider you go with, there's lots of them. I think we've got Maple and uh, Dialogue, which is being sold through the Great Life right, Channel now. Right, yes. It's all going to be there, and you're going to have the same people seeing and, and, and reading the history. Well, it's interesting. It's cool. You said in the beginning of this topic, you said you're really hoping this is something that takes off. I read an article, Benefits Canada, earlier this month, and it said the title was just 9% of employers offer virtual care. And as you go through the article at the end, it says, uh, or it suggests that this will probably be a much different conversation by the end of the year. And I would agree with that. I think if we're doing again our our wrap-up show next year, I think this is going to be a very different environment. I think this is something that is just going to be adopted quite quickly as people realize the convenience of it. And employers, I think, will, will support it as well, getting people better, getting them back to work sooner. So I think I think that's something we're going to see a lot of growth in. Yeah, I hope so, too. I hope it's not a, a healthcare spending account scenario where we've got a really cool product that we don't do anything with. That we years. sit on for the next <laughs> 10 years. Yeah, exactly. All right. So number seven and eight, I might combine a little bit because I think they are a little interwoven, especially with you know carriers like RBC. Mental health platforms, mm-hmm. uh, really, really important. And I, and I really like what I've been seeing this year, a lot of development and digital wellness. And, and what, yeah. I'll, what I'll say about you know, mental health, for a long time, and I've had friends that, that suffered with depression, and, and, and you, know, you don't find out until a decade later. Mm-hmm. I was at a RBC uh, seminar this year, and they had Michael Landsberg from TSN come on mm-hmm. and he had come on to say how many years and he was a he was a tv talk show and everybody knew his name and and you look at him from the outside and say, wow look at the successful guy and wow i'd love to do that and he comes on and he says you know he suffered with such severe depression for so many years and he said it was debilitating and he said because of there there was that stigma about you don't talk about this yeah. And he was wearing a T-shirt, and I hope I remember it, and if I, if I got it wrong, hopefully someone will correct me, but it said, mental health is, is not a weakness, it's a sickness. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, is that ever powerful? You know, and that changes that stigma, much like any other sickness that needs to be addressed. So one of the things RBC did in that presentation very well, exactly what you said when we're talking about telemedicine, you have someone who is in such a state in their lives that they can't get out to see and, and get cognitive behavioral therapy, right? They can't leave their house. They can't even get out of bed. So through one of their programs and through that digital experience, now you have a therapist coming directly to you. And one of the things that Michael Landsberg had said that really struck home with me, he said, I just wish there had been someone that would have reached out to me and asked me for help because he said, family aside, I didn't think there was anyone that cared about me and helped. And he said that would have made all the difference. So I thought that was really powerful. And kudos to carriers like RBC for creating platforms that, in my mind, will most definitely improve those health outcomes. Because we've all seen the stories, how they end tragically, especially with mental health. And if we can avoid any of those at any time, I think, you know, that's a, that's a real good thing. I agree. And I, and I think, you know, the carriers probably went into it a little selfishly with a, we can reduce long-term disability absolutely. claims by yes. preventing absolutely. health. Absolutely, yeah. But it's the right reasons. I think that uh, they genuinely want people to be healthy, and a big part of that is our mental health. And most of the carers are are piloting or already offering a cognitive behavioral therapy program 
with showing, you know, really great early results from these, if we can prevent disability claims, if we can keep people actively working, if we can keep people in a healthy mental state, everyone's better off. Yeah, absolutely. And well, when I was doing some research for this, I looked at some stats and, and, and it was kind of scary. I mean, it, every year, one in five Canadians experience mental health issues and it's the leading cause of disability in Canada. So like I said, I'm so glad that attention has been brought to this because for many years, it was something you really didn't talk about all this much. And I think with all the new developments, maybe not immediately, but people are, are hopefully going to feel more comfortable about reaching out for help and, and, and getting that help. To, I think it's slowly need, changing. Right? Bell Let's Talk was the number one hashtag used yes. on Twitter Fantastic. this yeah. year. So I think we're, Canadians are moving in the right direction. We're more willing to speak about it. But obviously the stigma is still there for a lot of people. And it's scary recognizing, one, what's going on with yourself or coming forward to ask for help. And for other people around you to to recognize those warning signs that something is wrong and then to offer the help in a way that comes across to the other person that they would want to accept it. Absolutely, yeah. So we're talking a little bit about digital wellness at the same time. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe let's just touch on that as well. I like what some of the carriers are doing out there with digital wellness. Again, it's obviously needed based on our, our workforce and how it's changing. Yep. But for years, you know, you and I would have both put in EAPs or employee assistance programs and what happened to them. For the most part, nobody used them. No one knew they were there. And from an employer standpoint, it was difficult to convey what a great service this was. Because an EAP is really... we still struggle with this We do, right? And I've noticed some of the carriers have started to, you know, to use the word gamify Mm -hmm. their platform. So, yes, you've got this EAP, Oh, but you've also got this perks program where, you know, yeah. you get discounts. Oh, and if I live a healthier lifestyle and I'm attaching it to my fit band or whatever it is, yeah. oh, my discounts get even better, say, you know, or even bigger. So I think it's a great way to engage employees Absolutely. into that EAP and realize, hey, this is a great platform that we have. Yeah, there's, right? there's a lot of great tools around that now. RBC has the new gamified platform. Yes. Mania Life's extended the Vitality program into group benefits. Yeah. There's third-party providers here to pre. We use Optimity. They all do that, the gamification. A little bit of competition, a little bit of recognition as well. Absolutely. Sending kudos to your colleagues when they've met a goal or succeeded. And I think they're really great because a lot of us are sitting around in an office all day, and those prompts really help us to get up, get moving, stretch. Uh, I know I feel a lot better when... I haven't sat at my desk all day and I've done a little bit of activity Absolutely, yes. to the point that since I've changed my office around a little bit, I no longer have any kind of neck or shoulder pains and just moving around. I did an experiment a few years ago too, doing yoga instead of getting a massage and not to poo poo on massage. I think there's a place and I love them, uh, but I don't feel like I need them. Right. Yeah. And and you're right. I mean, when you're talking about getting those prompts or getting recognition from someone, and I'll use the example of my Apple Watch. So when I'm preparing for, you know, going to see a client, I'm doing a renewal, I'm, I'm looking into a case, tomorrow I'm doing a big presentation, without even realizing it, I can be sitting at my desk for two hours because I'm so engrossed in what I'm doing. And the Apple Watch that I have, it will remind me, oh, you haven't 
you haven't stood for a while. It's time to stand. And sometimes I'll be buried in that project. I'm like, no, 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 I'm too busy right now. All right, at least I'll, you know, I'll walk, I'll go get a coffee, I'll go to the washroom, what have yeah. you, but it gets you moving around. So I like those, again, those is those dang robots yeah. telling us what to do, but I think uh, I think that's uh, that's great. Well, this has been a great year in review. Uh, I think we covered a lot. I would love to do this again with you next year because I think we're going to see even more developments. Yeah, in. But i got to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. If you were going to look into your crystal ball, what do you think we're going to see for 2019? I've got two things on my list. All right, let's hear it. I think what we've covered is still going to be relevant. We're still going to be talking about it. It's still going to be trending, especially hopefully the telehealth. But I think that we're seeing, and we talked about this before we started recording, seeing a lot of consolidation in the industry. Absolutely. Um, A lot of advisor firms being bought by larger firms. I think we're going to continue to see that happen. I've been tracking this year's activity on my LinkedIn, so it's all there if anyone wants to see how many there's there's been over 30 i forgot to count before i came on yeah so i think we're going to see a lot more of that we'll probably see a handful more before the year ends and then i think that we're going to see advisors continuing to expand on their education and their expertise to become a more holistic resource for the hr professionals that we work with right benefits is a small part of their day-to-day and i think that there's a lot that we can do to help give them back their time. On that point, you just reminded me something, and I'll just talk about it briefly because this podcast will probably turn into one of my longest of the year now. But you touched on advisors becoming more educated. And one of the things that's happening in our industry, just for my listeners who are my my clients, there's a bill called G19 about disclosure and, and disclosing commission uh, to clients. And the the organization, the CLIHA, represents the insurance companies has an idea of how to communicate this to our clients, of course, and of of course the brokerage community has has a different view. And one of the things that I like about it, because the benefits industry has been a little bit of the Wild West over the last 20 years, and brokers can, and I'll say this honestly, I say this to my, my clients' faces as well, brokers have been able to, for the most part, charge whatever you want in terms of commission. And of course, with anything, people abuse that, and, and, and there's been issues. And you can see why the industry is saying, hey, we're, we're going to disclose this full transparency to our clients. What's been proposed, uh, however, right now, I think is just going to create more problems. It'll be a race to the Absolutely. bottom. What's Robin charging? Okay, Megan or whoever can do it for this much. All I will say on it, because this is an entire conversation on itself, is I think disclosure is going to get the generalists out of our business. The people who specialize and should be here will remain in our industry, which I think is great. But what I think a client should be looking at is what value does broker A versus broker B bring to the table? Who's a better fit for our organization? And know that it doesn't matter who I choose, they're going to get paid the exact same commission for the insurance company. That's my view. It's only my view, of course. But I think there should be a standard commission level, and that way there's no back and forth and undercutting and all this. And a client can truly make a decision based on that firm and that broker's merits. And you know, that that standard commission level has somewhat been the crown scale. Right. But the crown scale hasn't been updated in 30 years. Exactly. And, and that's the issue, and right? And it's not relevant anymore. Yeah. So I, I agree with what you said. You know, there's not necessarily a problem with disclosure itself. A lot of advisors disclose their commission anyway. Yeah. It's really more about how this was rolled out, 
and the lack of early consultation and the perception from the advisory community that Clea just wasn't listening. And they shout out to the Green Shield podcast. They had a conversation about this the other day. That was the recent and, one. Yeah, I yeah. heard that, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and Clea had said, you know, if we could go back in time, we would roll this out a little bit differently. A little bit differently, I think so, yeah. Learned, we have, you know, they had a hard lesson to learn there. But I think that we're in a space right now where the disclosure's still not at a point where it's clear to the advisor community what is going to happen. And so I think that we still have a ways to go on the benefit side before it can come to fruition. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. Well, this has been awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad you're my last guest of the year because I'm winding down soon, folks. So we'll see you back in January. But how do people get in touch with you if they have any questions, they want to reach out to you, LinkedIn the best way? Do you get a hold of me, of course, on LinkedIn? Megan Vallis. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Megan Vallis. So you can find me there. Or you can email me firstname.lastname at a preinc.com. And I'm Megan with an H. Very cool. Well, folks, that's a wrap on 2018. Once again, thanks so much for tuning in and supporting the podcast. It's really been a great year and just a ton of fun doing the show. As always, be sure to check out our website, Apple iTunes, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcatchers for all of our episodes. If you need to reach me, I'm at rbailey at ariabenefits.ca, or you can join the conversation on LinkedIn. On behalf of everyone that makes this show happen, I'd like to wish health and happiness to everyone this holiday season. We'll see you next time on the Benefits Corner.